when talking about this, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at scripture and we'll be prescriptive. That means kind of taking scripture and saying, I'm trying to get a point across and I want to tell you how, how this works. What I'm going to do this morning is be more descriptive. So I'm not going to say this is the right way. I'm going to say this is what Jesus did. Let's look at his example. And let's draw those things out of what we learn so that we can apply them in our lives, so that we can apply them into growth in, in, in the context of where we are. A lot of biblical knowledge about organizational growth is, is in relation predominantly to kingdoms, people groups, and church. So what we want to do is we want to take the, we want to draw that knowledge and say, what are the biblical principles that are really across the board? We know we're not talking expressly about growing a church in this context. We know we're not talking about growing a kingdom other than the kingdom of God. But we do want to take those principles because they are godly principles. Jesus, Jesus showed us the way, and, and we have biblical examples to show us the way, how we can grow using those same things. Um, in no way am I going to try and say, like, here's the five steps to healthy growth this morning. It's going to be more organic than that. This is going to be a conversation. This is going to be some points to really get our minds thinking about how can we think about growth and what are the things that we should be focusing on instead of looking at things in this prescriptive kind of sterile way. We want to look at scripture and let that drive motivations. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a little roadmap this morning, hopefully, uh, to kind of do that. So instead of starting with my ideas, let's start with scripture. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Habakkuk 2:14. Most of you probably already know it because it's on the wall in the studio in the Richmond base. What it says is, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in Isaiah 11:9, it repeats the same thing. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that scripture, what it's saying, the waters and the sea indiscernible. They cover everything. The water is the sea. The sea is the water. It saturates and permeates everything. That right there is what, that is the driving motivation for growth. In every context, if we are growing, we are not growing for the mere sake of growth. We are growing because we want to see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord permeate and saturate the entire earth. So um, a good friend of mine, when we, when we lived out in Seattle, uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, who was the pastor of, uh, wrote a book called God, uh, Gospel Saturation. And he had such an impact on the book because it's written so well but it's written in 
common, it's not like a theological book. It's, 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 a, common, it's a common man book. Um, and I just love how he talks about gospel saturation and how it's not just singular, singularly. I think we look at ministry or a job, we separate these things. What, what he was saying is that gospel, the gospel permeates our lives, us as people, and then we take the presence of God and let it permeate every, everything we touch, every person we touch, every person or people or area that we're around. We carry the presence of God with us. And the whole purpose of godly growth, and what I want to talk about, is at the core, we have got to be central around the fact that we grow to grow the kingdom of heaven. That is our focus. Um, so um, I want to talk a little bit about where I'm coming from and where I've been to give some context to how we talk about this this morning. Um, so I've been a cook. I've been a general contractor. I've been a painter. I've worked in churches. I've been a, I've been a ministry leader. I, in college, we did, uh, I was a part of this youth program, and we did these youth events and would do worship events at large churches across the country. Um, I've been a part of a number of church plants. Uh, I've been a part of a number of mega churches, which I'll get into, uh, two, two mega churches, one here in Richmond and then um, one in Seattle, which was Mars Hill. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, as we go forward. But um, I've been involved in ministry since I can remember. I've been in church. Uh, my parents are here. My parents helped plant uh, one of the largest churches in Richmond. Now, when I go forward, don't hold that against them. <laughs> because it changed a lot because of growth models. It, it changed. The focus started in a good place. It started to grow the kingdom of heaven. But a growth model got in the way of that. And so I want to talk, we're going to be talking and exploring, exploring that. Um, but yeah, so I was a part of Mars Hill, which is kind of more widely known. And many of you may have listened to that podcast. It's one of the biggest podcasts literally in the entire country right now. A, a podcast about a church is one of the highest listened to podcasts in the country. That's astounding. People are interested in listening to the drama of an unhealthy church and how it fell. How it grew, I mean, the, the name of the podcast is The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. How it grew and how it fell. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Um, but we were there right at the end. We weren't there for the growth, uh, but we were there kind of right in the last few years and watched what happened, watched kind of the fallout of what happened and then helped to plant, plant a church out of that. Um, so when I, when I talk about these things, I'm coming from a place of God really used these experiences in my life and in my heart to really start this trajectory of why, why does this keep happening? Why does fast, heavy growth, 
why do these, these models of growth, why do they have this tendency to actually break apart what God intended for something good? We want to grow. We want the kingdom of heaven to grow. But how do we do that with Christ at the center? How do we do that without it becoming this thing that becomes an algorithm or a model? We're not necessarily trying to duplicate these things. We want to grow well because we want to grow with Jesus at the center. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about Mars Hill first. Um, when we first came to Seattle, we looked around for churches for a long time. We had, we had just moved there. I had just gotten this job uh, at Microsoft. Everything was new. We knew one person. We knew one person in Seattle. So we were looking for a godly community. So we came to Seattle. We looked around for churches. We actually, we, we actually moved there with a certain church that we uh, wanted to go to in mind, which the guy who I referenced earlier, Jeff Fanderson, actually uh, the pastor at that church, uh, but it was 45 minutes away. So we were like, well, we can't build, we can't build a community with, with, with that group because it's going to be a little bit too far of a drive and to have natural community. So we kept looking, and we just it was really hard to find a community of believers where the gospel was being preached faithfully without a lot of stuff in the way. And so Mars Hill... There were 16 campuses across, I think 13 in Seattle. Um, and so we found one. It was literally three minutes away from our house. We could walk there. So we said, okay, Lord, <laughs> we seem to be fighting it. The one, people that we, the one uh, family that we knew went there as well. We were like, okay, we're going to build community here. So we decided to go with that. And the gospel was being faithfully preached. Mark Driscoll was a great preacher. Um, sure, he, he did some things a little heavy-handed, but he, he did preach the gospel faithfully, and especially at the end. Um, I remember uh, one message that he spoke where he said, if I ever stop preaching the gospel, don't listen to me. Listen, listen to, follow, follow scripture. And so in the end, that, that came, back, came back to bite him. But what, what I say is that when we came there, we came at a time where a lot of growth had happened in, in Mark's life. This church, Mark Driscoll started a church in the most unchurched city in America. High population, high, high individualism, nobody wanted to listen to an outside, especially not God. I mean, we lived in Seattle, guys. This, this, is a, this is a city where you do not hear people talking about God or Jesus or church or anything. It is a foreign concept. And not only that, they have an adverse reaction when you start talking about it. And so it was, it was heavy to think about. Can you imagine the type of person that it takes to start a church in that environment? That took a lot of guts, bravery, and honestly, a calling from God. God used Mark through some unconventional ways, and he made a lot of mistakes. But he grew that church into something. He also started very young. 
He started without discipleship in his life. And he started, he just went. He said, God gave me a call, I'm going to go. But he didn't surround himself with people that were going to speak into his life and bring balance and accountability. He surrounded himself with people that would say yes to whatever he said. When one man is in charge of something and Jesus is not at the center, it's going to equal of some kind. It may be successful for a long time from an outside perspective, but from perspective, it will fail. And so what happened is this church just kept growing because Mark was a dynamic speaker. Nobody had heard anybody like this, and he was doing something that really seemed like only he could do. So he kept growing. Then another church, he would send a pastor there. Well, they had to keep they had to figure out the church model. Well, they were growing so fast that delegating pastors, but then they would pipe in the message from Mark. So you've got this video campus model that we've seen in a lot that we see in a lot of churches, where um, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, by the way, I'm going to say I'm not saying maybe are or bad. I'm just saying that. I'm talking about growth and, and healthy growth and how megachurches do have a tendency to grow unwell quickly if they, keep, if they don't stay on track and keep Christ at the center and accountability uh, as a part of that model. And so all these churches started popping up. They're piping in Mark. Mark is the central core. Now, Mark would say Jesus is the pastor of this church. He said it a lot of Sundays, but functionally, a lot of those folks, they were looking at Mark Driscoll. They were looking at him to be the source of, of preaching, the source of how to, how to get biblical knowledge, and it was because he was good at what he did. He was a great preacher. He was entertaining. Uh, and then they started to incorporate lots of worldly or secular models of algorithms and, and ways to engage culture that are entertaining or culturally engaging. They, they were like, okay, we're going to use anything at our disposal. We're going to bring it in to say, we want to bring, we want to be missional. It's a good, good mindset. We want to be missional, a good motivation to bring outside folks in to make the gospel attractive not letting just the gospel be attractive, or using all these other tools as a focal point. And um, that's a big um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about secular models and algorithms and all these things later, but um, a lot of times we don't let the gospel <clears throat> be the most attractive thing. We don't let Jesus be the most attractive thing. We think as Christians we've got to succumb to the world's model and say, yeah, but we've got to make it attractive. We've got to adjust something about Jesus and this message or add something to it to make it attractive. I, my argument to you would say, no, Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. The word of God is enough. And those that it doesn't attract, the Holy Spirit is going to do his work. Trust in that. Trust in that. Don't trust in a model 
or an outside source to bring people in. Um, so, yes, this church is growing, and then there's a lot of things happening in the back, the back end. I'm just kind of summarizing. And so he hurt a lot of people. He was basically saying, uh, do what I say or get out. This is my this is my show, and so what happened is a lot of a lot of leadership that was actually trying to do the right thing, being biblical, and holding him accountable. Well, didn't work. They got kicked out. They tried to do what God calls elders and pastors to do to hold each other accountable. Didn't work. Mark kicked them out. Now. Over time, what that podcast doesn't talk about is I think that there was a genuine maturing uh, that, that happened in Mark. We saw, uh, when we started going there, we saw him being more fatherly, more pastoral, uh, and there was a, a much more of a softening, less prideful, arrogant air about him. However, he didn't change the model, and he still held on to that control. He still had that, that pride, that arrogance that said, only I can do this. He did not trust that God will grow his church. God will grow his kingdom. But he uses us, and it is a privilege for him to use us. So that humility is key to our growth. Um, so... All this eventually came out. It had come out numerous times, but finally people started to hear about it and, 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 and heard that uh, he had done these things and hurt a lot of people. Um, I don't want this morning to be about Mars Hill, but I do want to just give some context. And so the church, just more and more things started to come out about how he was just a harsh leader. Um, and had been prideful and arrogant. And ultimately, what happened is all of the elders, all of the pastors at that church, at all the individual locations, started to say, no, we are going to hold you accountable. And he did not like that. And so eventually what happened over time, they presented him with a lot of ways to get out of that, they presented him with a lot of ways where he could still be involved in the church and eventually step back into leadership of the church, and he rejected all of them. Why? The answer is clear. Pride. He did not have enough humility to say, I have, I have led this church into a place, a fast growth model, a growth model without accountability, a growth model where I am the center do that. The good thing that came out of that is the fact that God still grew his church and 16 churches were continued as individual churches in Seattle and uh, a number of other areas after that. So God still did what he wanted to do. He still kept those. But man, a lot of people left and a lot of people were deeply hurt. A lot of friends that turned away from the Lord after that process because they had followed a man that wasn't Jesus. So Jesus has to be central. 
the church that I grew up in started with the best of intentions. Like most churches, started with a small handful of people um, and then grew because there was dynamic preaching, because there was a, a cultural dynamic of, of diversity in, in the church. Wonderful. We're going to say we don't want to just have a white church or a black church or a Hispanic church, or we want to have a church that says we're the kingdom of God. Okay, wonderful. So they did that. There were some amazing things happening. This church grew over time, but at the core, again, I'm not going to go into details, but this model keeps creeping up where it grows and it grows. And instead of spreading out and having, having people plant new things, like you guys are doing. While we're in Virginia, it's getting bigger. What do we do? Lord, how do you help us grow? How do you help us grow well? How do you help us not just be here and hoard the gifts that you've given us? Well, we go outwards. We spread out. So Lynchburg, Virginia Beach, this is a godly perspective. You guys are all here. It's so special to be together, isn't it? And to gather back together. Those, those times are special. It is awesome. And I think that's why mega churches happen in a lot of senses because we get so comfortable with each other. We love being together. That's great. But God calls us not to keep those things to ourselves, to not hold it to ourselves. He calls us to go out. And you guys know this. You're a missions organization. But we've got to keep that. Why do, we, why do we grow? We have to know why we grow. We grow to grow the kingdom of heaven. And so this church that I was a part of kept growing and growing. And the pastor there had, um, it's, it's a term that's fairly well known, but it's called a mosaic form of leadership. Now, I want to say referencing a mosaic form of leadership is in direct reference in, this, in Scripture to how Moses led and how uh, the people that he led and the leadership model that he had was directly spoke to, spoken to him by God, and he delegated things and called people through Moses and, 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 and delegated those callings and, and things like that. But God always the one, was the one who called. He always is the one who calls people. And in this model, in the church that I grew up in, this mosaic form of leadership, which is not biblical in, in how it was exercised, is the pastor said, you are called until you leave my covering. Does that sound biblical? No. So... That is a man's pride getting in, a way, in the way or his control and fear of, of, of not being able to control people is getting in the way. Both bad motivations. Not growing the kingdom of heaven, pride, control, fear. Bad motivators. And, and almost always at the core of these large growth models and let me tell you guys, this doesn't just exist in the church. This is true in corporations, too. This is true in, in the secular world. People think they have a good idea. They try to grow fast. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But 
this is that that is all still at the core of pride, control, fear. They're at the core. And so, on the tail end of coming out of Mars Hill and growing up in a church that had this model, and also I do want to say, because my mom and dad are here, I, would, I was going to say this even if they weren't here, but my dad and mom would talk to us every Sunday about what was right and what was wrong, about what was being taught. And they, took, they made brave choices. My, my dad, this is biblical, being dads, you are the pastor of your home. You are the leader of your home. Moms, you are co-pastors in your homes. But dads, you are responsible to God to lead your children, to lead your family, to lead your wife, and to say, this is right. That was not so right. Be humble about it. We all make mistakes, but I think what I love and value so much about that experience is my mom and discipling through that time. They felt called to be in a place where unbiblical things are happening. Welcome to the world. We will always be in those places. But what they did is they, they bought a biblical context and gave me the tools that I needed by researching and looking at scripture to say, this is wrong because and pointed to the things in Scripture. Again, Jesus at the center, the Bible as the resource. And so, I find myself in an interesting space now where I'm coming out of that context, I'm developing these new values of, okay, Lord, like, what are you trying to teach me? I had never had a, a desire to research things like church polity. What is church polity? That sounds like some arrogant church theological word. But leadership and how God structures it throughout scripture is important. It's important for us to think about these things and to be intentional and not just always be reacting. I think most, most, most growth models, what happens is organizations, growth just starts happening, a mega church, Growth just starts happening and happening, and you're just reacting. If you don't pause this retreat, this time to refocus, to recenter, to group together and say, we are going to be intentional about this. This is our focus. This is our mindset. That's important. That's key. Um, so, and then I find myself now Place out of that, where my church, and I am also uh, directing marketing campaigns and growth for the company. And then we have a, a church context, so a, a, a biblical context. Thinking, I find myself at this mindset of, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What does growth look like? And can growth and godly growth and just growth in general, the way you designed it, can it be the way you designed it? Could there be 
a right way to grow well, a right way to grow with a godly perspective. And my argument is I think, I think that we can if we look to Scripture and look to Jesus as the, as the key. Um, so what, is the, what does Jesus' example teach us about growth? Well, relation, primary relationship Always put, G, put God first, his Father, his Heavenly Father. That was at the key. That was at the, at the core of everything. And so, and everything that he did outside of that fl- flowed out of his relationship. His passion, his desire, the things that he chose to do, who he chose to minister to, the Holy Spirit leading. We've got to have that as the key. Um, so how do we do it? Well, pers- personal relationship and growth in God. May uh, there was a um, there was a actually a minister. I'm trying to remember. I think this was at a YWAM event years ago, and I remember writing it down, and I have remembered it ever since. But it was it was a pastor from Africa, or a YWAM leader from Africa. But he said. His prayer every morning was, may my public ministry never exceed my private relationship with God. If you don't own it, believe it, live it, breathe it, how can you preach it, cultivate it, and grow it? You have to have that as the core. If that is not central, nothing you will say will have any validity. So at the core of godly growth, it starts with you. It starts with you, and it starts with God and your relationship. If that's not well, nothing else will be well. Nothing. Second, center around the good news of the gospel and who God is. So we have relationship with the Father, and we have biblical understanding. So we want to look at the Bible and the gospel as the resource for our knowledge of God primarily, as well as our relationship. But we want to have that foundation. We want to build that foundation. Foundation is key. Nothing is going to do well if you do not have a foundation. Um, And then you have your endeavors in local ministry. his local ministry, and discipleship. So discipleship is how things grow inherently. If, if, if we don't have apprenticeship, that discipleship model in place and well and thriving, so you have your relationship with God, you're passionate, you can't help but talk about it, you have your core based in Scripture, in biblical understanding, now you've got to tell somebody about it. You've got to walk them through the same process you're going through. You've got to bounce ideas off folks. You've got to have accountability in that. But discipleship is how things are going to grow. If you don't have that group of people, and it's going to be a smaller group, it's not going to be everyone. Jesus had 12 disciples. There's something to that. I think we can look at that model and say, okay, Lord, 
who are my people? Who are the people you're calling me to? Who are the people that you're calling me to speak life into? And also, ask yourself, who are the people that are going to speak life into me? That accountability side. Because guess what? Jesus' model might not work for you because you're not Jesus. So you need something that Jesus didn't necessarily have. You need accountability. Jesus just needed disciples. You need accountability. So have those people that are speaking into your life as well and sharpening you. Iron sharpens iron. Um, um, and so... Yeah, so again, you know, we just said primary, again, going back to Habakkuk and Isaiah, the primary focus is all about spreading the gospel and growing the kingdom of heaven. Um, I want to uh, also talk about, let's see, I want to talk about the world's growth models. So, um, how are we doing on time? Okay, great. So, the world's growth models. Grow fast. Grow fast, make a big impact. Sounds good, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe we should reevaluate that. Maybe we should reevaluate that. The problem with that model is growing fast, making a big impact. You're forcing it. Everybody's doing it, and they're not motivated, not motivated by good things, so there's a lot of distractions in there. So our physical and digital mailboxes and spaces and minds are filled with junk mail and filled with indecipherable noise that's untrustworthy. We don't want to add noise to the picture. If we're going to grow, we don't necessarily need to grow fast. We need to grow well. And many times what that means is a slow growth model. We need to think about how are we going to grow in, the, in light of how Jesus grew his ministry? How are we going to grow in light of how Jesus focused on relationship with the Father. Because our ministries will grow if we have that at the center. Because guess what? What I was talking about, all those extraneous things and those things that we look to to be flashy in our ministries or have all the right things to attract people in, you know what? If you don't have Jesus in those things, then people are coming for the wrong reasons anyways. Or if they are coming in looking for those things and not looking for Jesus, they're coming for the wrong reason. So they may hear something, but their motivations are already, they're coming in. You've set the stage for a wrong place of receiving. And so think about that as we grow. Think about that as make decisions in growing. How can we grow, not necessarily fast, but how can we grow well? 
How can we grow with Jesus and the gospel at the center? Um, the Bible says, my people perish for lack of vision, lack of purpose. If we can't offer vision and purpose, we have nothing to offer. And also, the other thing is, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, Christians do a terrible job of copying the world. We're really bad at it. Christian music does it bad. Christian entertainment does it bad. I'm sorry if I offend anyone who loves fireproof. But I'm, these, I'm just saying, these, these Christians do a really bad job of copying the world. And so what I, my, my argument to you is, we are, why are we doing that? We have something better. We have the better thing. Let that speak to the world. It was enough for Jesus. Why don't we empty ourselves of ourselves? The people, when you think about the people that you've heard speak, I have, I have these vivid memories of these times in life where I've heard someone speak, um, and it's happened, it's happened a, 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 unfortunately, a very few times. But where you hear someone speak, and you say, that person's not speaking. God is speaking that, through that person. They're just a vessel up there. And man, you can feel it when it happens. Because you feel the agenda drop. You feel their necessity to get their ideas across, like I'm trying to do right now. But hopefully the Holy Spirit speaks through. But Instead of that, just saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What, listening, hearing. We need more of that. We need more prayer in our growth models in ministry. Because if we are not talking to God, and if we don't hear what he's saying, and if we don't give him time and space to speak to us, we will go nowhere worth going. We may, we may be successful from a world standard. We may grow big. We may grow fast. That doesn't mean it's good growth. It just means you're growing. And that's not the goal. The goal is to grow at the pace that God sets for you, to grow at the pace that God sets for your organization. Um, so we've got to build foundations. All right, algorithms. All right, I'm going to talk about algorithms. It's boring, right? So, algorithms in digital spaces, and it just sounds like I'm a robot up here talking. Algorithms are not inherently evil. There's nothing evil about an algorithm. It's just a mechanism. But they, the algorithms, involved in our world right now, they are predominantly evil. Do you know why? Because we know this because we can see what the internet is filled with and it's filth. And algorithms exist to prey on human behavior. They exist to prey on your human depravity. Your
You know what? They will continue to be that as long as people behave in a sinful way. Algorithms just, they grow that and bolster that. So sinful human nature will always be supported by an algorithm because you know what? It's amoral. The algorithm doesn't care about you. The algorithm is not going to support you. It's going to support your habits. Now, What if, what if instead of worrying about the world system of algorithms as Christians, what if instead we said, no, we're going to grow slow, we're going to grow well, we're going to grow at the pace that God sets for our organizations and not follow algorithm-based growth models to say, person clicks on then they'll get this experience. And if they like this, then they'll subscribe to this. What if we rejected all that and just said, nah, let's just focus on the message. Let's just focus on the scripture. Let's focus on our relationship with God. And then an organic growth happens because guess what? Passion is contagious. And then it grows out of relationship not necessarily in a digital space, digital space if you're using that for godly purposes, but it grows out of relationship. You are the person that someone sees and says, what's different? I know that sounds cheesy, but what that should be how we grow as a church, as the body of Christ, as an organization that's focused on ministry. We should grow out of a space that says, People are coming because they see Jesus in us. They see his character. They see his nature. They see the goodness of God. And guess what? They see a lot of people that are struggling and going through hardships just like they are, but for some reason they have a different attitude about it. Our testimony as Christians through struggle and hardship is one of the most powerful growth tools that we have. Your suffering has a purpose. I know a lot of churches don't talk about that. They say, oh, you're suffering. You should, how can we help you get through that? No, our suffering has a purpose. And if we can suffer well, if we can grow through our suffering and say, okay, Lord, I'm not saying that this suffering is because you want these bad things to happen to me. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that God uses those bad things to give you a testimony to speak to others and to show them the way to have joy in the midst of suffering. I read this, this book once. Um, it doesn't end well, so, but it's, it's about Jesuit monks who are in um, during the execution of Christians. Christians were being crucified, uh, in tidal pools, all whole thing. But during the first portion of the book, these Jesuit monks come there, and they, they don't know the language, they don't know how to get there, they don't know where they're going, they have no plan. I mean, this is, pre, this is pre-internet, this is pre-anything. They are just going because God called them. And they're also going to find uh, another one of their leaders. 
And as I'm reading this book and reading about their account, because it's a historical account, it actually happened, and these guys reading about suffering, about Christian suffering, boy, it puts the fear of God in you, but it also makes things very clear. Suffering makes things clear. And these guys went through such hardship. And it felt like nothing was happening for a long time. They're literally hiding in huts in mud, covered in mosquitoes, with no nothing, no nothing to show, no fruitfulness in their ministry to speak of. And then a little thing will happen. And they're filled with joy. A little, a, just a little thing. They'll meet someone. They find out there's a church that exists there that is in hiding. All these little things happen. But the thing that I took away from reading that book and reading about this first part of the account, of their account, was the fact that we're not entitled to a comfortable life as Christians. These guys suffered for most of their life. To ser in service of a higher calling. If we can serve Jesus that way, if we can ser serve Jesus the way that many of these fathers of our faith and missionaries have gone before us and sacrifice at that level, think about what can happen in the world if all of us actually started doing that. Now that's powerful. These guys suffered but they had joy. Their testimony was joy. It was one of joy. Not because of their circumstances. Their testimony was that they had joy in the midst of suffering. And that is a powerful testimony. So, algorithms, what would happen if we changed the algorithm as Christians? What would happen if we started to change the world around us and we started to drive, be the driving motivators for algorithms. Think about that. Think about that if, if we as Christians started to behave both online and in our real world in a different way, in an opposite spirit, Think about how we could change the world, not just in a physical place, but also in our digital spaces. If, if, if there's no motivation for people to put filth out, if there's no motivation for the algorithms to serve a bad habit, they'll stop doing it. They don't care. They just want to serve what people are habitually doing. So what if we habitually, not habitually, but purposefully and intentionally started behaving in a different way, we could change algorithms. So just a, just a little thought. Um, but you know, the big thing that I want to say with algorithms is um, you know, we just have something deeper to offer. If you spend all your try time trying to make uh, Jesus and Christian life and the gospel and church and ministry look cool and appealing, by appealing people's, to people's desire to be cool or be a part of something cool or want something aesthetically beautiful, we'll fail. We'll fail every time. But instead, 
People will be attracted to us if we empty ourselves of ourselves and our sinful nature and surrender fully to God. Because then we can be a, ve a vessel for his spirit, and that's the only way to be a um, Last model that I want to talk about from the world's perspective, being the biggest. Why? Why do we feel the need to be the biggest anything? I oftentimes think about, um, I have this thing that I do, it's this mechanism in my mind that I'm just kind of an old soul, so the way I think about things is I, I pass things through what I call the 200-year model. And I think, oh, did we have that 200 years ago? Nah, probably not necessary. So I oftentimes think about little churches in farm towns. I think about the pastor at that church. I think about his struggle of farming all day long, every day, working the same long hours as everybody else in the community, and then going to pastor his church on a Sunday morning. I think about that. And I think being the biggest is not something that enters his mind. He's doing something because he feels called and compelled. We do what we do as Christians because we can't not do it. We, we, what's the alternative? What is the alternative? Do we sit back and watch? Do we participate in the world? Do we try to be clever? A lot of Christians try to be clever. I hear a lot of pastors saying, I've got this new idea. I've got this new revelation. You know what? Give me the old stuff. Give me the repeat. Put it on repeat. I want the Bible on repeat. I want the old, I want the old truths. I want scripture. I don't, I don't need some new revelation. I want what God has. I want what God has shown his people and has been at the driving core of everything that we do. So when I think about growth, and I've talked with this a lot about this, and I think about YWAM, what I want for you guys, I want you to grow well. I want you to grow at the pace that God sets. And you know what? I see God doing that. I see God at work. So incredible at YWAM. You guys have no idea what a privilege and joy to be a part of a community of believers with Jesus at the core with humble leadership, and godly growth is happening. You have leaders who care about this. And so as you guys go forward in your growth, my prayer and my heart is that you would grow well, you would keep Jesus at the center, that you would not look to algorithms or principles to drive your growth models but that you would actually just say, hey,
day, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to spend time with Jesus, who I love more than anything that this world has to offer. To spend time with Jesus like you need him because you do, even when you feel like you don't. If you start feeling like you don't need Jesus, check yourself. Have people in your life that will check you. And then, as you go out from that, who am I called to? Who are the people around me that Jesus is calling me to? And who are the people around me that are speaking into my life? And then as we move forward out of that, then we can look towards healthy, organic, natural growth. Not a business model, but we can grow well because we've refocused. We've, took, we've taken out all the mess, all the distractions, and we've said, okay, Lord, what do you want? You are the center. But God is doing that in, in your midst, and you guys are a part of something very special and very unique. And you know what? I see healthy growth. The one thing that I want to say is there's a moment when, when an organization or a ministry or a church or a group of people have grown well, there is a, there's a moment, an inflection point, if you will, that happens. Because you've grown well, you've built the foundations, you have the people in place, you have the health. What happens is this inflection point happens and massive growth starts to happen. So get ready for that inflection point so that you're in a place to be able to grow well and continue to grow well.